Hey, what's going on? Leon here. And in this episode, uh, we talk to Matt Maruka because we live in a more and more artificial world that is not designed to optimize our health and well-being. And uh, when I started digging into optimizing my sleep because I was constantly tired and not sleeping well, I heard about today's guest, Matt Maruka, who absolutely blew my mind about so many different things that I was doing wrong. And uh, yeah, a few weeks fast forward and he's on the show with me here to discuss some really controversial topics and things that you might have never heard about. Uh, for example, why the amount of sun that you get is more important than the quality of your diet, how to optimize your health and performance by nurturing your mitochondria, which is the engine of your body. Sounds a bit weird, but um, listen to this episode and you'll know why. And then also the light diet broken down for optimal hormone function and energy. Also some of the habits that you can implement in your life right now to yeah further nurture that mitochondria and the engine of your body to perform better, uh, live healthier, um, and uh, feel better. And also how to protect yourself from technology that is absolutely wrecking your health. Um, all the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, 5G stuff that's coming up. So yeah, without further ado, let's dive right into it. So I, at the moment, run Raw Optics, which is a blue light blocking glasses company. And basically, I design, improve, and sell glasses that block the frequencies of light that disrupt our internal circadian rhythm, which is the 24-hour system that runs our biologic functions. And the most important of them, in particular, our sleep-wake cycle. So I got into that as a way to make a living based on the information I had learned about to fuel what is my passion, which is learning about how the body works and doing so from a foundational perspective that could allow me to reverse health issues that I was facing when I was younger, just going into high school. And those things primarily involve the role of light on our biology and the way that for example, mitochondria, these little cellular engines power all of our organs and tissues and cells and how the research is showing for the last few decades now that mitochondrial dysfunction is the root cause of these modern chronic diseases that we're facing today from cancer, Alzheimer's disease, obesity, diabetes, autism, um, and so on and so on, it, and mental illness, for example. So that's that's pretty much my interest yeah nice so um you were talking about your your issues back in in high school your health issues so what were they exactly and how did you get out of it mm -hmm. so i was always struggling from headaches every day just you know people know what it's like to have a headache but it really isn't fun of course i was struggling from headaches and gut issues so anytime i would eat i would have bloating gas it was just miserable unpleasant being in high school for me of course. And then I also was struggling from allergies, pollen and dust allergies. So pretty much no matter which season, wherever I went, I was having some congestion, sneezing and this kind of thing. So it was, it was a very, let's say, not fun way to exist. But I was convinced that these things were genetic at their core. So I actually thought that I couldn't do anything about these because they were normal and you couldn't change your genes. That was the biggest issue for me. So what I started, um, what I should say that, that triggered me into actually doing more research was the fact that I started having acne breakouts when I was about 14 years old. And then I got onto diets 
And when I tried the paleo diet, this diet that was intended again to just try to clear up breakouts I was having on my face, these other issues basically started to almost magically disappear, which is something I was completely, just completely shocked by because I didn't think that that was possible, that we could just eliminate these issues that I thought were genetic my whole life. And so I basically started asking, what else don't I know and how can I actually completely eliminate these issues and other issues that I, that I had or any, anything that was suboptimal. And that sort of got me on this track of at least starting with diet, trying to improve my health. And when I hit a wall there, which we can get into, I learned about how we have these cellular engines which are required to process our food. And if they're not functioning optimally, then no diet is able to fix our health. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that, that I actually learned from you, um, which is that the, the sun and how much sun you get is arguably, arguably much more important than actually the diet that you eat. And um, I remember you saying one thing where you said, our biology is all about getting energy from the environment to delay the point of death. And yeah, the key is getting the energy from your natural environment. So that's just the, the sun, oxygen, and also good nutrition. So um, why, why, do, why would you say, what would you explain to someone that hasn't heard about this yet? Um, why is sun more important than actually good nutrition? That's a great question. The sun is good nutrition. So basically all complex living organisms that we derive, uh, you know, we evolved from a common ancestor and that common ancestor was a photosynthetic bacteria in the oceans. The, you could say the, the mother of all complex organisms. And just that alone indicates that a lot of our most foundational physiologic functionings are derived from something that was governed by light and by the sun. So basically, the best analogy to think about it is to think about a car. A car has an engine, and then it has gas that goes into the engine to, to basically fuel the engine. Now, if the engine itself isn't functioning well, then no matter how good the gas that's going into the engine it won't matter for the functioning of the car because, again, for example, let's say you have a broken car engine. If you're putting in premium gas but the engine's broken, will it function? Obviously, it won't function. You, still, you need to fix the engine, take it to a mechanic, and get it tuned up. And so in our cells, just like a car, we have engines, and then we consume fuel in the form of food. And so if the fuel that we're consuming is super optimal but our engines are broken, then we're not going to be able to achieve optimal health no matter what. And it turns out that the engines in our cells aren't tuned up by the food that we're consuming. It's just the fuel. They're actually tuned up by more than anything, our sleep and our hormone function, which is entirely governed by light. Um, so, and so what are some of the practical things that people need to look out for in order to actually optimize that engine? Well, the first is melatonin secretion. So basically you want to have optimal melatonin production and secretion, which means we want to be getting up in the morning when the sun rises and be observing and allowing the light to be incident on, you know, hitting our eye from the moment when it rises uh, depending on where we are on Earth until UVA light becomes present, which could be in the on the equatorial regions 15, 20 minutes after sunrise. In winter zones, it might be two, three hours after the sun rises. But we want to be present 
outdoors for that change of the light and for the rest of the day as well, but primarily, especially in the morning, because that change in light from the moment the sun rises to the moment UVA light becomes present uh, signals for the creation of really important hormones and for our circadian rhythm. Among those hormones uh, and neurotransmitters are melatonin. So that's really important. And then in the evening, we want to have an absence of blue light frequencies because blue light, which is a, a component of the sun, but also a component of man-made light bulbs, basically tells the brain it's time to wake up. And so if you have blue light at night, you're not going to be secreting melatonin. It prevents the secretion of melatonin, essentially. Yeah, so that's usually, I think, the, the biggest uh, killer of that is probably the phone, right? Because especially in the evenings, people want to wind down. Uh, they come home, they will look at their phones. Um, yeah, so it's phones, it's, um, it's lights that you see here. Um, so it's really important to get that darkness um, yeah, late in the evening, right? Yes, absolutely. So what are, the things that, what are some of the things that you do to actually optimize that? Um, I know you're, you're also traveling, often depending on where the most sun is, um, I, I, would, I would assume, because you're currently in Croatia. So what are some of the things that you do? Because I know, especially when I'm traveling, it gets really tricky. So I've actually, I'm in Cyprus right now, really sunny here. Um, and um, I've blocked out all the, the windows with um, aluminum foil, like a, like a serial killer. Uh, because at night, it, there's just so much light coming in. So what are some of the things that you do to actually optimize your sleep, the darkness, and um, yeah, things of that nature? Yeah, so I watch the sunset in the evening in general, or at least I'm always outdoors or I have my windows open, like I have a big window right in front of me fully open to the to the elements and pine forest around making these, making lots of oxygen, which is amazing. So watching the light decline is very good in the evening. And that basically contrary to the morning, basically tells the brain it's evening time, the light's going down. So I do that. And then I will wear blue light blocking glasses the moment the sun goes down because blue light blocking glasses, again, they block the frequencies of blue that are emitted by screen devices and light bulbs, car headlights, and so on. And so that way the brain uh, can know that it's night and begin to secrete melatonin because it, it was known for, it was thought for a long time, for 150 years after rods and cone photoreceptor cells were discovered, those that are linked to color vision, that those were the only two classes of photoreceptors that we have in our eyes. But in the, in the early 1900s, there were certain findings. For example, there, was mite, there were mice that were accidentally bred to be completely blind, meaning their rods and their cones didn't work, yet they still showed um, a entrainment to differing light levels, their pupils would still adjust, which indicates that there was another type of photoreceptor that could allow that change to occur. They didn't know what it was. And then in the 80s, they found similar findings, again, in controlled studies, where they would remove or blind the rods and the cones in mice and test certain uh, physiological functions. And one thing that they noticed was their circadian rhythms were still intact, even when they blinded them from their color vision. So in the late 80s, early 90s, and late 90s and the early 2000s, that whole end of the uh, 20th century, there were a series of discoveries that basically implicated that we have a third type of photoreceptor called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. In other words, the eye isn't just a camera, it's, it's a clock timekeeper. And so basically, 
what these what was found in these cells that make because they knew about these retinal ganglion cells they're part of the uh inner layer of the retina that basically transmits nerve sig signals from these rods and cones into the, the the vision centers but certain of these cells are what they call intrinsically photosensitive so without another pigment sending a signal to them they they were light sensitive they didn't know how because there was no known pigment that would be sensitive, but they they discovered something called a pigment called melanopsin first in in frogs and then in us as well in these cells. And basically, melanopsin is specifically sensitive to blue light wavelengths around 480 nanometers. So, and that is in these intrinsically photosensitive these retinal ganglion cells. And basically, that means when blue light hits our eyes, whether it's in the morning or the evening, it automatically generates nerve impulses. And rather than them going across the optic nerves, which cross at the chasm, the chiasm, I should say, and then go back to our visual centers in the back of our brain, they go directly to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is just sort of in here, just behind our eyes in the, I guess, the front of the brain. And that has been shown to be the master timekeeper for our circadian rhythm. So that drives, among other things, our sleep and wake cycle. It controls the function of peripheral circadian clocks and our organs and everything else. And that is, alone is set by blue light. So it's, it's such an interesting thing because it's such a simple mechanism. Just light from the environment sets this timekeeper, which literally controls the time systems from the entire rest of our body. However, all of evolution, there was no point at which we could affect that system artificially. You know, lightning bolts are very brief, exceptionally brief that you can't even take a photo of them and they're very dim anyway. The moon is exceptionally dim uh, that it does it hardly affects these systems, although on a full moon it can a little bit, but again, it's so dim. Just to, to give some comparison, the, the light intensity of, of a bright sunny summer day is between 50 and 100,000 lux of intensity on the earth. Uh, a full moon is between uh, 0 0.03 and one half of a lux. So it's very, it's, it's orders of magnitude difference in strength. So the point is that this system is, it's very functional throughout all of evolution until man became able to create artificial lights that could actually stimulate this system and disrupt it. And that's why it's such a simple thing, but getting up in the morning and letting the sunrise hit the eye to set the circadian rhythm and then wearing blue blocking glasses the moment the sun leaves the horizon is absolutely the simplest and most critical hack to maintain our hormonal function and our circadian rhythm. So that's basically number one that I do. And then number two, I try to block out artificial light at night from my sleep space, but at the same time, I want to have the light to wake me up in the morning. So the better hack is just to try to be in a spot. Uh, I happen to find a really good one at the moment where there isn't a ton of artificial light around at night, street lights, car lights, headlights, and whatnot. And that's, that's very, uh, very good. Yeah. So, uh, one thing that I'm currently doing is part of my morning routine is when I get up, I actually meditate in the sun, uh, cause then I get my meditation in and I get sun immediately. Um, and, um, yeah, in the evenings, same as you, when the sun goes down, actually putting on blue light blocking glasses, which I have to look more into cause I don't know how good they actually are. Um, and then we can talk later about, uh, about yours. And, which ones do you have? Uh, it's like a German brand that I bought because I was currently in, in Germany at that time and it's called, um, yeah, I don't know. It's Spectra some, or something. Yeah, I think I might know which one. But anyway, continue. They weren't the cheapest ones. So I made sure that, you know, it had good Amazon reviews and some people on there sounded smart. So 
I bought it. I'm, I'm kind of like the guy that, that uh, lets people like you break it down and take on all the information. Then I, and then I just trust you, people that are really into biohacking that uh, they kind of know what they're talking about because it's just so much information out there. Um, and um, yeah, so if I got that correctly, it's, it's not necessarily the sun hitting your skin that much, but mainly the eyes that makes the circadian rhythm optimize its, its timing. Primarily, yes, but it's interesting that there was uh, research in, in the last five years that, that actually showed that our skin and subcutaneous fat, so you know the fat below the skin, is also, uh, it does also contain melanopsin, so it's present in a lot more places than just the eye, which indicates that sort of the entire body and the cells across the body are run by the light hitting our, uh, by the light hitting our body, essentially, and what that reminds me, I should actually take my shirt off and let the light hit my skin because it's a cloud. It's been a cloudy day. Yeah. Well, you don't have the light anyway, you know, you're indoors now, but I mean, I'm indoors too, but I have the window open. So anyhow, um, so yeah, that, that has been my, uh, that has been my findings at present. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of also the reason why, uh, you should block out the room as much as possible, right? Cause, um, your, your skin mm-hmm. has a receptor and even if you have you know, these, these, um, what are they called? Uh, sleep masks. The, the light is still hitting your skin when, yeah, that would be a good reason to, to block out the, the light from a room. But again, it, it eliminates you from getting the light in the morning to wake you up, which again, it depends on your circadian rhythm, but, um, that can be very, very helpful for a lot of people. Now I would say like from my experience, I've been doing an experiment lately where I would go to sleep, for example, shortly after the sun sets, so say 7.45, 8 p.m., 8, 8.30 latest. And when I did this, um, I would even find that I'd wake up at 4 in the morning very rested. And the reason being, I mean, if you count from 8 to 4, that's 8 hours of sleep. So it's you, you don't necessarily need to sleep until 5, 6, 7 when the light's coming up. Uh, you know what? Did I do my math right there? 8 to 4 is not hey, that's only six hours of sleep eight to six is eight hours of sleep but um so for example i should say like five if you go to five that is seven hours and that's pretty adequate what i did for example one night i was asleep at seven forty-five, and i woke up at 3 a.m feeling extremely refreshed and that's off that's probably related to my traveling but the point is that if, if your circadian rhythm gets very dialed in you can actually um you know, be waking up before first light because if the body's repairing very optimally, you don't necessarily need the light to wake you up. Your body will just get its repair in and then you'll be fresh and awake the next day. Yeah, so um, it, it's probably ideal to then uh, match your, your sleep timing when you go to sleep and when you get up to actually when the sun is setting and when the sun is getting up, right? That's, that would be the most natural way, so to speak. Yeah, that is the most natural way. I just redid my math in my head, by the way, and my math was right the first time. Eight to four, eight to four is eight hours of sleep. So, so it isn't actually that crazy. Yeah, um, that is optimal. Again, like if if today, myself included, because of the many disruptive factors in the environment, namely artificial light, but also non-native electromagnetic fields, um, complete you know lack of solar exposure growing up, all the toxins that we're exposed to, and so on and so on, bad food. These inherently disrupt our ability to function properly and regenerate and everything. And therefore, like, whereas our ancestors might 
have gone to sleep at nine or 10, even who knows it, more likely they would have gone to sleep earlier because after, like, for example, if, if someone's gone camping before, you know, that after, you know, the sun gets down, it goes down, it's dark. You can't see anything. You might have a bonfire two, maybe three hours, but still it's nine, maybe 10 at the latest. And you're just completely out cold. You can't even stay awake. It's so challenging. At least that's been my experience. So it's likely that that's, I would, I would presume that's how they operated as well. So if they're going to sleep at 10, you know, and you really, you're optimally functioning, you probably don't need eight hours of sleep, to be honest, six hours, seven hours would, I, I bet would suffice. So you, again, you're up before first light, you're, you're rested and you're up. And I have found from my experience that when I wake up in the morning before first light, even when it's still dark out, it is the most peaceful, serene, meditative spiritual experience ever. And, and that's why I'm just starting to go to sleep earlier and earlier. Cause I get nothing from being awake after sunset, except circadian disruption, essentially from the artificial lights. It's, it's been, I mean, of course, if you live in the, in the modern world, which I've been sort of on my own traveling and doing my own stuff. So I'm experimenting, of course, then you get a lot from being up after sunset, like social connection, family and whatnot. But, um, again, like the way we've structured our society and our lifestyles is responsible for the reason we're having so, so much chronic modern disease. So we can't necessarily have our cake and eat it too. We can't have the best of both worlds, but trying to figure out how to get as close as possible to the best of both worlds is, is a home run. So I, for example, tell people the best thing to do, and I actually got this from an Ayurvedic doctor who I've been learning from because uh, I should say ancient Eastern wisdom has been considered woo-woo for a long time. But the stuff I've learned from the Western science about the light diet, it has implied that a lot of what ancient Eastern wisdom was, has been talking about for thousands of years is actually, a lot of it is directionally accurate, at least, if not very spot on. So um, taking one of these recommendations that I got was go to sleep no later than 10. And they say it's because the nervous system can't fully regenerate if you're going to sleep after 10, which actually makes sense because you're not going to be able to get much more than full eight hours before the light starts to wake you up before, let's say, 6 a.m. if you go to sleep past 10. Um, also, you know, you're staying up very late when the sun's no longer present to power the biology. So this is also very taxing on the body. It, it might seem like it, there's no effect to light in our consciousness to, to someone who's not aware of it, but actually just the act of being awake when the light is out, the light, even though it's cloudy outside right now here in Croatia, the light is still powering a lot of my biologic systems. So the longer that one stays awake after the light goes away, the more basically you're stressing and taxing your body. So this is why. So going to sleep between nine and 10 or even before nine for me, again, I'm shooting now for like eight, just as part of an experiment, just after the sun goes down and it's been unbelievably awesome so far. But that's a really great start. And then, yeah, getting up, if you're, if you're doing well, you should be just naturally waking up before the light. But uh, if your body's just begging to sleep later, that means there's probably an issue. doesn't mean you should force your wake up. But um, I would say definitely shoot to get to bed earlier so that you don't have to use an alarm to get up to get the sunrise. Because if, if your body does want to sleep later, then you're missing the sunrise. So you're losing out on that front and not getting all the proper hormone secretions. So again, going to sleep earlier is just the home run. Yeah. And then you also get in the, yeah, the red light from the sunrise and also the sunset later on, uh, which is so powerful. And, um, yeah, I guess it's just really hard mm -hmm. for people nowadays because there's so many societal norms. Now I remember living in Barcelona 
and I wanted to go out for dinner with my friends, but I knew that I would have to go to bed soon and I had, to, I wanted to stop eating by 7 PM. And, um, yeah, the whole city was just up when I was wanting to go to sleep because I wanted to optimize my, yeah, my sleep routine. And, uh, I was just like, I wish society could just be like, everything goes, yeah, it goes like happens four hours earlier. Like we get up earlier or three hours or whatever, or it really optimize. Yeah, that's the effect of artificial light. Like everyone in circadian shifted to a later hour. Everyone's staying up later with artificial lights. And so, yeah, it's, it's how it is right now. But again, like that's why I like talking about this because I, for example, last night someone had a light on outside of where I'm staying. And I was thinking, I, I want to create a world where it's considered not just disrespectful, but like just very inconsiderate, very, very inconsiderate to have light, bright lights on at night that are going into other people's windows because it really is disruptive for our circadian rhythms and our sleep more than people could imagine generally. And yeah, that's the kind of world that I want to shift to. And again, that's why I'm, I'm interested in doing what I'm doing because teaching this, like I'm going to do my thing. Sure. I'm going to make exceptions all the time. I mean, I imagine not all the time, but consistently, but over time I'm going to look to sort of create community and live with people who are more aligned with this stuff. And I think it'll catch on to be honest. I hope it will. Cause I'm, I'm fully with you on this because I'm usually that, yeah, that type of guy who's like putting on the glasses and then asking someone to, to turn off the lights. Like I was in, I was in Bali with some of my friends and they would have the lights on uh, late at night. And I was like, I'll, I'll like dim the lights a bit. And they'd be like, Oh, it's so dark in here. Like turn it on fully again. And I was like, it was a bit, it was a bit isolating sometimes. Cause I was like, I know how important sleep is. Sleep is the superpower of the human body. It can almost heal anything, um, if not heal heal anything. Um, and yeah, it was it was quite isolating a bit because um, yeah, more people need to get educated on that stuff. And not just that, but also um, I remember you talking about actually uh, sunscreen and the use of sunscreen because um, I I used to tan really well when I was younger. And for some reason, I had lost that ability, so I thought. But when I, I listened to the podcast that you were on uh, with Luke, um, the Lifestylist podcast, um, you were actually talking about uh, increasing your, your sun exposure. And then with time, um, you start tanning more and your skin gets more depth. And I'm, I'm more tan than, than, than I've ever been in the last 10 years because I started sitting in the sun more. And it's actually, yeah, exactly what you said. So that's one of the other things that people are so wrong about our health now where they think they have to put in sunscreen that sun is actually bad for your health. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> there's, there's lots of research showing that, or I should say maybe not lots cause there's no interest in funding it, but there is research showing that uh, the chemicals in sunscreen when they're absorbed into our skin and then struck by light, they become really oxidizing and they create, basically free radicals, which are, you know, damaging molecules when in excess. And so this wearing sunscreen is, is literally creating a higher risk of the thing that it claims to prevent. Yeah. And also, um, sunglasses, also a thing that I don't wear where people are like, Oh, why don't you wear sunglasses? Yeah, Much worse <laughs> than sunscreen. It's, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's simply because the sun is not hitting your eyes, right? Which is the best place your, the sun can hit your Think body. of it this way. Like the eye is, is just like the mouth is the way that you put food into your body. The eye is the way that you put light into your blood. So if we block the light going into our bloodstream, which catalyzes all sorts of reactions of molecules, it charges up 
our red blood cells, which bring light to our mitochondria to power mitochondrial function and so on. Uh, our mitochondria can function basically just on light, not entirely, but for a large portion, they can generate a lot of their energy just from infrared, sun, uh, infrared light from the sun. Uh, there's like a really interesting system where ultraviolet light sort of tunes down the function of cytochrome C oxidase, which sort of reduces mitochondrial energy generation, but then the infrared portion actually increases the production of ATP without having the food electrons coming in from the other parts. So this is basically natural calorie restriction because in the engines, with sunlight alone striking, again, the eyes and the skin without blocking sunscreen, contact lenses, anything like that, uh, clothing, literally, the it's almost like if you had a car engine where it when the light, like a solar car engine, where when sunlight hit the car engine, it reduced the amount of gas that it was pulling in from the from the gas tank, and then it just started to run purely on solar energy. That's literally what happens when we're in the sun. And this is why, like, again, we can't run entirely. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say can't because I imagine that there are, like, Buddhist monks who have done it. They're just not highly reported. And there are some who have been reported to do this, but I can't say that it's credible or for sure, so I won't comment on it fully. But we can definitely operate on a lot less food than we think we need. Like I need very little food, particularly in the summer. And especially when I'm in like a tropical region, I just can't eat. In fact, because of societal constraints and whatnot that I put on myself, um, I, I often will overeat because I'm like, my body's just like, I don't want food, but my brain and my mouth is like, mom, 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 I love food. I just want to eat more. And then I'll just feel like junk because I've just loaded myself up when my body was so good without. So, um, I mean, that's just, you know, <laughs> just, just me doing that. <laughs> would not take not listening to my body, of course, in those cases. But the point stands: uh, we don't need um, tons and tons of food when we're in the sun. That's it's really cool. It's naturally natural calorie restriction, and that prevents us from gaining weight. Essentially, that's one of the ways that prevents us from gaining weight. Yeah. So what I hear from all of this, um, and kind of like to break it down to a basic principle, is that you want to look at how we used to live on our day-to-day, -day, how we used to eat, how we used to move, how we used to walk, um, and really try to apply that to today's, yeah, today's, today's life. Uh, optimizing, like looking at how we used to sleep and then sleeping that way now, what times we used to sleep and then sleeping that way now. Also, um, when it comes to diet, actually looking at how our ancestors ate and then eating like that because that's how our bodies have evolved. So, but there's so many technological changes coming up now in society, which we're pretty much not prepared for. We don't know if, if uh, in 10 years from now, um, men stop having the ability to, to produce children because the, the Wi-Fi just screwed us I up. Mean, it's already happening. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad now. And children that are being born today have huge amounts of uh, mental disorders and autism and so on. It's really not a good uh, state of affairs. But again, I'm not focused on trying to help and save everyone because it's not possible. Like there's a lot of people um, like myself before I started digging into this included that wouldn't want to have been, uh, you know, assisted. If someone had come to me and said, I know all this stuff, I'd been like, no, I'm busy with my life. Forget about it. You know? Um, but it takes, I think a lot of struggling oftentimes to go to a place where you're interested in, in looking beyond the box and so I'm interested in just going on podcasts like this, talking The people who are interested, they'll, they'll pick this up. They might 
think, oh, this is interesting. And I'll look into it a little bit more. The people who aren't, that's fine. They'll go on with their lives and the world will operate as it does. But this is like my way of, of sharing information and contributing a bit. Yeah. For those who are listening. Yeah. Um, and are willing to actually look into this and, and yeah, and change their lifestyle. Even in, even when everyone points the other direction and walks into the other direction. So what do you think are some of the other things that people need to look out for when it comes to yeah, these technological changes we talked about, for example, the iPhone or whatever phone you're using, uh, the Wi-Fi or whatever, Bluetooth, like that stuff can't be good. For example, I, I was using, uh, I, was, I was buying this new shampoo here because I ran out of shampoo and I started um, using it and it had this really weird feeling on my skin. And I looked at it, it was like this mental, um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but this a certain like minty type of th- stuff in it. Um, it was like a mint mm-hmm. flavor and it's like, this can't be good for my skin. I actually thought about it. Like, do we actually need shampoo? And uh, no, we actually don't. And I stopped using shampoo and I, I look, I think I look great. I think I smell good. And when I, when I started telling my friends about it, they were like, Oh, makes sense. That's why you smell so bad. Uh-huh. But it's like, they actually think they need to use shampoo, but that's just one of the things that it's like, why do you use that? It's like, it, that, that can't be good. So what are some of the other things that pop into your mind that where you're like, okay, this something for those who are listening and are willing to change their lifestyle and uh, want to optimize their health and longevity. Like that's what you need to look out for. Yeah. Um, well, I usually just go through the light diet steps, step by step. I mean, I, I tell people get up in the morning and watch the sunrise and the step that precedes that of course is going to sleep early before, uh, before nine, before nine or 10 ideally and slowly dialing these things in so that even if one sleep isn't optimal, they will will start waking up earlier before the light comes up. And so, yeah, getting the sunrise, spending the day outdoors, um, not behind windows. So windows are an issue. And then living outdoors during the day, you know, doing whatever work you do, doing it outdoors. If you have an office job, that's really rough. It's going to prevent you from, from improving your health tremendously. But you can still go out as often as you can in the weekends and whatnot and get the light you can because it's not all or nothing. There's still a benefit to be had. Um, fluoridated and chlorinated water. Like no one should be, uh, I would say, uh, no one benefits from drinking city tap water because it's full of all kinds of different chemicals. Luke story had a podcast with a guy about that. It's disgusting. Like the stuff that's in city water and municipal water, uh, just fresh spring water bottled. If you can get glass bottles, great. And so on and so on. Reusable bottles that are BPA free. The big ones you can fill up oftentimes certain places. Great too. return them and, you know, I get your deposit back. Awesome. Um, Eating uh, seafood also helps us to assimilate more light because of the omega-3 fatty acids. And that's also the food that our ape ancestors consumed when they were isolated towards the coast in East Africa, according to the archaeological evidence that allowed us to evolve the human brain. It wasn't organ meat like a lot of paleo carnivore people say, because otherwise, for example, lions who eat organ meat all the time would have bigger brains and other animals that eat organ meat would have much bigger brains, but they don't. But we ate seafood, which is contains again, DHA, the omega three, which we use to make the myelin sheathing around our nerves, which allows them to conduct, conduct electrical impulses efficiently, which allowed for the massive expansion of the human brain. The other animal with the biggest brain, people always love to, to uh, drool over are dolphins. And what do dolphins eat all day? Rhetorical question, right? People can think about that for themselves. But, um, 
anyhow, so humans are designed, we have big brain, we're designed to eat seafood and particularly shellfish and like oysters, mussels, and clams. They're basically made of, of rocks. If you've ever felt one of them, they're made, they build their own rock and they're, so they're super high in, in minerals, which is awesome and great for the human brain, zinc and so on and so on. So eating shellfish seafood is critical um, as far as other dietary recommendations, because even though this isn't about a food diet, of course, it does play a role. But again, the more light that one gets, the less relevant the diet becomes. And again, I would be completely honest and say, if someone's in the sun all the time, you could essentially drink Coca-Cola and you'll still be healthier than someone who eats salads all day long. And even this is awesome that even Sachin Panda, this circadian rhythm researcher in San Diego has shown that in animals that eat when they're they eat healthy food when they're not supposed to be eating in other words when their engines are designed to be turning off like for us that's nighttime for mice it's it's the the opposite time of the day but um when we eat healthy food when our engine is designed to be off versus eating uh unhealthy food when our engine is actually on and functioning the animals that are eating the healthy food do worse off than the animals eating the unhealthy food so just to be very clear on that, people think that the type of food you're eating is the thing that matters the most, but actually the evidence indicates that it's not the case at all. Think about it. If you try to put, if you put um, gas, if you try to put gas into an engine that's not running, like if you just started leaking gas into an engine that's not running, it's not going to do anything with the gas. It's just going to sit there and basically rot or whatever. I mean, the car analogy doesn't work quite as well. It's not as complex, but um, in, in this case, but if you put in gas when the engine is running, it's going to burn through it. So at least in our bodies, people can, can try to visualize you have an engine that's designed to be turning off and you're pumping in a bunch of food, healthy or not. It doesn't matter. The physiologic effect is no bueno. It doesn't matter whether the food's healthy or not. And that's why the, the discussion about food lacking context of the engine that burns the food is nothing short of insanity. So that is um, some of the considerations There's eating seafood. So yeah, I guess the point regarding diet is just pretty much focus on tuning the engines and be in the sun and eat local healthy food. Again, there's, it's just amazing because there's people who, like I, an Ayurvedic doctor who I mentioned, he eats raw vegan and he's the healthiest, most clear mentally guy. And he's been doing this for years, years, like a decade. And he's not falling apart. He doesn't look bad. He looks amazing. He looks better than anyone else I've ever seen, mentally, physically, everything. And he's been doing it for a long time. I don't think his, his, he's going anywhere downhill, just based on my, my judgments. Again, but then you have people who are carnivores doing carnivore diets, and they are also oftentimes doing well, or at least mitigating. I mean, actually, oftentimes they're not doing well, I would say, because usually people who are carnivores are so sick that they eat anything besides meat, they feel like crap. So I would say, Carnivores, although they think they're doing very well, they're actually not doing very well at all. Like Michaela Peterson, very popular carnivore diet person, you, people, she's like, oh, I'm doing great, symptom-free. But if she eats anything besides beef, her body goes crazy and her joints start degrading themselves. So she's really not doing that well, if you really think about it. Um, so you know, if she was stuck in the wild and had to survive on something besides beef, she would not survive. So or at least she would struggle a lot. So, well, you know, circadian rhythm reset and all that of being in nature, maybe it would help a lot you know, cause she's not focused on the light right now. Anyway, um, the point, the point is clear. I, I hope the engine focus is much more important than the fuel focus when discussing an organism that's run by engines, not by the fuel. Um, so yeah, you know, for example, in my case, I've, I'm not, 
by any means perfect. I'm still applying these things, working through the different things, looking to improve my health, been traveling for two years, which has been tremendously detrimental on my circadian rhythm and whatnot, because I haven't been as acute about actually, you know, I was kind of feeling like the young, typical young person, like I'm invincible, I can do whatever, you know, I'm not going out and partying and drinking a ton. That definitely I don't, I feel very not well from. So I don't do that almost ever. But, um, you know, and I prefer to get up at sunrise and surf or swim in the ocean. That for me is the best, to be honest, much more interesting anyhow. But um, so what I've, what I've been sort of dealing with in my experimentations personally is there are days when, for example, because I've been creating circadian disruption, uh, stressing myself out a lot, and so on and so on, I haven't fully taken the time since I learned about this stuff to, let's say, apply it fully, which is sort of the classic, how could you say, the classic issue that, that health gurus often maybe fall prey to. They don't necessarily follow their own advice. Now, I follow my own advice, but I haven't 100% applied it to its maximum extent by going to a tropical place with chronic strong sunlight and staying there for a really significant period of time and being getting in the sun a lot particularly in the mornings. You know, I was in Bali for three months, but I was so focused on my business. I was getting up every morning and just working throughout the morning hours when those are the key hours I should have been in the sun. So I learned a good lesson. But anyway, as a result of that, there have been points where I'll eat certain foods that, you know, whether it's meat or some fruits or something else, again, meat, fruits, you name it, certain foods. And I won't feel very, I'll feel a little sluggish or something, right? At certain portions of my journey, whether it's after I've taken a flight or whatever. And then I'll start going in my mind, I'll be blaming the food and I'll be like, oh, it was a meat heavy food. I can't really, uh, something's off. I'm not fully burning through it. Or, you know, I'll have some fruits and oh, it's higher in deuterium, higher in sugar. I should avoid that too. And then I'll get in this headspace all about food. And the thing that I'm forgetting my own advice in, in those moments is that it doesn't really matter about the food. And the reason I'll say that is because what I'll do is I'll do a couple days of getting back, resetting my circadian rhythm and getting everything humming again. And then I'll eat whatever and it won't even strike me. Like I'll forget that I was even considering this just a few days ago. So it really just shows that it's easy to get caught up in, in debates about the fuel, but it's only possible when lacking the context of the engine. So that's, that's sort of the dietary recommendation. I mean, generally at this point, I advise people to consume like, uh, what Dr. Cruz, who's a mentor of mine who taught me mo- a lot of this stuff, is like an epipaleolithic diet, meaning focused on epigenetics and primarily focused on seafood. So a seasonal seafood-based paleolithic diet. So again, you know, focused on seafood, uh, maybe some meats, fruits, vegetables as they're seasonally available, and then you're good. But again, really the best diet is aquatarian, pescatarian, solartarian. That's like the what, I, what I've got right now, solartarian diet. So can't live fully on sun. That's not the point. The point is that we get a lot of nutrition. And it makes a lot of things run really smoothly in the body. And then, yeah, I mean, the remaining steps of the light diet, of course, avoiding non-native electromagnetic field technology. So you have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, AirPod headphones, forget it. Uh, for people who are curious about the science behind that, there's a book written called Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science by a biophysicist and lawyer named Andrew Marino, who basically was working for a pioneer in the in the field of bioelectromagnetism which means basically electricity in our body and how it works and what marino found he was studying high voltage transmission power lines and basically noticed or not noticed but found clearly that these had detrimental effects on the cell cycles 
on the function of cells and caused all kinds of abnormalities and blood chemistry and whatnot. It was a, it was a stressor to the body essentially in ways that they didn't even fully understand, but they knew it was having a stressful effect and therefore increasing risk of disease. And that's what they found in their experiments. So he began to testify against high voltage transmission lines as an expert when people were suing them for building these lines over their houses. And then later on in engagements with the United States Navy and the, and the radar they were using during the Cold War and so on. And essentially, the lab that he was working with was shut. Uh, was they, their funding was revoked by the Veterans Administration because of the controversy they were engaging in that threatened the military and the Navy during the Cold War. And from there on, um, the evidence of the health effects of non-ionizing radiation, meaning radio and microwave frequencies used to communicate, has essentially been completely buried and ignored. There's a committee called the International Committee on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection, ICNRP for short as an abbreviation. And basically their standard is that if the non-ionizing radiation, again, meaning visible light or radio waves or microwaves, they don't ionize our molecule or atoms in our cells like x-rays and gamma rays do. So they're non-ionizing. Therefore, they, people might think they're not that harmful, but, or they could, couldn't be harmful. But it turns out, at least in the radio and microwave range, and even in the low-level static electric and magnetic fields emitted by power lines, low-level in their frequencies, but um, it can still be very strong. Uh, ICNRP basically says if it's not actually cooking tissue, like a microwave, for example, if it's not actually cooking your tissue like a microwave does to your food, then it can't affect the body biologically. And... The, the research, though, from non-industry-funded publications has shown consistently time and time again that that's not the case. It can cause things like cancer, infertility, uh, DNA damage, and so on and so on. So, And this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of peer-reviewed published studies. So the thing is, again, the telecommunications lobby in the United States is up there with the oil and pharmaceutical lobby. So basically, there's, there's very little change uh, occurring at this moment because it's not going to come from like the higher up government bodies and uh, telecommunications companies. It's going to come from people spreading this information and then demanding change. At least that's my current perception. So just for people who think, oh, that's just conspiracy theory. It's really not. You just don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> um, anyway, that's that. And then that's a blue light at night, artificial light at night. So screen devices and so on and so on. It's problematic. That's sort of the run through of the light diet. So step one, go to sleep really early and watch the sunrise in the morning, be up for first light essentially, or for sunrise at least. Two, live outdoors during the day in the sun. Step three, consume ample amounts of uh, seafood, shellfish in particular. Four, consume uh, unfluoridated water. Five, avoid man-made non-native electromagnetic radiation. Six, use cold thermogenesis. So the ice baths, that's just another hack we, we could get into if you want later, but basically it kickstarts our metabolism, gets us burning fat and basically turns our body on supercharged mode. Um, and we can actually become fat adapted, or I should say cold adapted mammals. We already have the capacity, especially people of European descent, but all mammals today have this because we all descend from an ancestor that survived the dinosaur extinction, which was a, a period of cold after the asteroid which in, in this case, we were using this uh, fat burning to stay warm in cold climates adaptation to survive. So we all mammals have this and we can activate it when we're in cold water or just even cold air, although cold water gets the effects 
really quick, best way to burn off weight. That's how, again, this mentor of mine who laid out a lot of these pieces from these different researchers I may mention, um, he burned off, it, he lost 160 pounds using ice baths. Just, it was an experiment that he thought wasn't going to work, but it actually did. So uh, there's that. And then, of course, in the evening, block artificial light at night and repeat. Basically, go to sleep early and repeat. And then I guess there's another step I didn't even mention, which is cultivate your inner light. This is very important because if you don't meditate or practice Qigong or something like this, read good books, have good friends, spend time with good people rather than energy vampires and so on, you're going to have issues. And the light diet won't be able to save you from, you know, even optimal health won't save you from toxic friends, I think. It'll just maybe empower you to make better choices about who your friends are. So that's the light diet. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great blueprint. So going back to that technology really quickly. Um, so what are some of the practical things that people can start doing immediately? So uh, I would, what pops into my mind is turn up Bluetooth whenever you can, whenever you don't use it or ideally try just to don't use it. Don't mm -hmm. use it. Uh, then also airplane. get an aux cord for your car and use a cable for your phone hotspot. And then what else do you need Bluetooth for? Yeah. Yeah. Then, wear an Apple watch. If you don't, don't ever wear an Apple watch, for example, that kind of thing. Mm. Don't wear a Fitbit. Not yeah. that you shouldn't do whatever you want, of course, listener, but I mean, I'm just based on the research and prudence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually stopped uh, wearing the, um, I should say, if you don't want to be at an increased risk for cancer, a significantly increased risk for cancer, then people can make up their own mind from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually stopped using my Aura ring because um, that one also is using Bluetooth. It's on my finger and it's, yeah, you, you wear it while, while you sleep. Sorry. Real Apparently, quick. you can turn that on airplane mode, I heard. Is that not accurate? Uh, yes, but then it stops measuring it. And I think it takes, it takes a long time to turn it back on again. I think I'd have to look it up again. But it's not a okay. it's not a practical thing that you can just turn off. I think um, it it needs to be on in order to actually track. And uh, yeah, I'm not wearing it to look good, so I actually wanted to track uh, my sleep. So um, that's also a thing. Um, avoiding these technologies. Um, and then yeah, when it comes to laptops, I mean, at some point you have to get to work, right? So are there any things that that you also do to to mitigate that? Yeah, the best hack for when you're on the road in particular, if you have a Wi-Fi router, you can look up how to, basically I have a YouTube video, how to turn off Wi-Fi while still using your router. Basically, you go into your browser, Google Chrome, Safari, Firefox, you type, you go into your router settings and your network settings, whether you're on a Mac or a PC, and you type the router number into your browser, and that will actually bring up your router settings. So that's how you can change the password, the name of the router, all the other stuff that people usually don't know how to change judging by, you know, the long codes that most people never change after years of having the router in their house. But basically, then you can go in and just turn off the 2.4 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz and the guest channels so that you don't have any Wi-Fi, so it won't show up if you search for Wi-Fi. But that turns off the radiation, but then you can plug in via Ethernet and do this. Again, the only way you'll be able to uh, use that router after you've turned disabled these channels is by plugging in via an Ethernet cable, which you can get on Amazon and so that's really handy. Or even if you still leave it on, but you just connect via Ethernet cable, because let's say there's other people in your house, you're still reducing your exposure tremendously because even though the router is still radiating, your computer is no longer radiating because you've wired, you've hardwired in. So you're, it's, it's exponentially lower exposure. Also, for example, like I'm not going to touch my phone right now just because I don't want to disrupt our connection, but I have my phone with a USB connection. And so my phone is the hotspot. So I don't have a long enough USB cable to make a really substantial in impact, but basically 
Right now, my phone is the receiver and transmitter, which is a little bit further from me than my computer, like about one meter. But still, because of this inverse square law of electromagnetic radiation, what basically that means is that the further you go away from electromagnetic uh, emitting point source, it the, the strength of the field is reduced at a more exponential rate. So uh, that's really good means you get distance away from these things and it reduces the strength substantially. So just, you know, like I have a meter, I measure my phone. If I'm just a foot away or a meter away, the difference is m- m- huge over being just a few centimeters away. So it's not linear basically. Um, these are good hacks, you know, turn your phone on airplane mode pretty much all the time. There's a great YouTube video actually about why, or in some article about how, someone stopped being available all the time and just kept their phone on airplane mode and how great and freeing it is to not just be available for people to ring you all the time. That's sort of how I've set things up. Um, and if you do have to keep it on all the time, keep it off your body in a backpack, in a backpack or in a purse, uh, and so on. There's radiation blocking cases and shields that I don't think are very effective. Although I do have one that does work for, for a computer. It's like a case called Defender pad. And it's like a laptop sleeve, but then when I work on my laptop on my lap, at least blocks the electric and the magnetic fields from going down onto my lap. Then they are kind of going up onto my face more. So it's, it's really just not really optimal. But um, yeah, there's things like this that you can to Ethernet, to your phone hotspot. If you can get a long cable, the phone hotspot's the best because you can put your phone 10 feet or two, three meters away from you, and then you're really pretty much golden and still connected to the internet anywhere in the world. Yeah, nice. So what's your take on uh, the upcoming 5G changes or what's coming there in terms of technology? So I'm more, I would, I'm more an expert in light and not necessarily in electromagnetic fields, although I still know a lot more about this than 99% of people. But basically, um, the 5G radiation is going to be, hello, <laughs> uh, 5G radiation is going to be a very big problem for for health. Um, it's basically 4G and 3G have already been proven to cause issues. There was a study that was done over many years. It was funded by the U S government, the national toxicology program. People can look this up. And even though they constantly were going back and forth about releasing the results, cause there was always some pushback from, you know, the telecommunications industry and whatnot, they finally did. And even with just 2G frequencies. So from the oldest cell phones and regular cell phone networks, um, there was cancer in these animals. So imagine 3G, then 4G, and that's already bad enough. Now, 5G is going to involve uh, the, the creation of hundreds and hundreds of times more emitters, like antennas, little small cells distributed every few hundred meters all around cities and office buildings on every floor, everywhere, with frequencies that are uh, significantly higher and stronger than before. So basically, I think it's kind of like even though, the, again, because of the story I mentioned or I told you about with the non-ionizing radiation uh, and the standards that are grossly inadequate at the moment, they're basically maxing out exposure just to the point where we're pr- not quite there, but getting much closer to the level of actually being cooked, but still low enough that it's not heating our tissue. But it's going to just make all the biological effects that have been researched probably a lot worse. I think we're already seeing the effects in cities where they're upping and upping the strength of 4G and pretty much everywhere. I mean, chronic diseases, cancer, like I hear it all the time, like this person got cancer, that person got cancer. It's totally normal now, you know? So like people have already accepted this as normal. So the more we accept it as normal, the more likely that it'll be our own fate. And um, basically, so yeah, I think 5G will be kind of like 
you can almost argue like Armageddon, but not really like Armageddon, just lots of people getting really sick, the sickness becoming more and more normalized, healthcare costs continuing to skyrocket and literally threatening the stability of nations as far as healthcare costs go, because it's already such a massive expenditure of the US government. We have so much debt, for example, the country at least. So I think it's going to be really messy, but I do have confidence that with my own work, um, I'll be able to, you know, cause I'm, I've made just because pursuing this, you know, this is the top level stuff out there. Like I've gotten connected to a lot of like, you could say really influential celebrities who like, for example, yeah, who are interested in this stuff, like the founder of Twitter buys our glasses, you know, so like there's people high up who, who are know about this stuff. So I think it's not going to be too big of an issue when, the, when the effects become in, exceptionally clear to, um, to make changes on these things, but it's not going to happen. And I think until it's really, really bad, but the fact I think is it'll get really, really bad. And then maybe we'll be able to make things really good. Cause I kind of feel like we have a generation like yourself, myself, two guys I did podcasts with yesterday, someone I'm doing one with this evening, like really awake generation. I would say people who are really not accepting that we're just, just have to be basically, you know, destroyed by our environment and, and a product of, of that. So I have, I have, to be honest, good faith. Yeah. For people like us, definitely. Because um, I think there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be communities that are going to be built, especially for people like us who are like, yeah, who know about this stuff, who take their health really seriously. And then, yeah, build little communities. I mean, you already see that with, um, I don't know if you heard about uh, Powder Mountain. Um, from the founders of um, of Summit Series, they've actually bought a mountain and uh, they're selling real estate there for yeah for different entrepreneurs and 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 people who really want to change something in the world. And uh, I think that would be that would be one of these communities that yeah would would get out of the city and actually optimize around health and and uh, and those sort of issues. Um, one more thing that I wanted to touch on really quickly um, is that. Obviously, you talk a lot about sun, um, but I think for the the cells, uh, the other ingredient would also be oxygen um, to really make them uh, function optimally. So, what are some of the things that um, you know that could be done there to actually, yeah, further power your machine or make your machine work better? Um, because you actually repeat the question. Sorry, I, I was so tempted. I just looked up Powder Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely Go look it up. Everyone that's, everyone that's listening to it, you're already like looking for real estate on there. Like, yes. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm buying. I'm in. No, yeah. but anyway, please. They're yeah. high, high elevation. They're getting strong sunlight. It's actually not a bad idea. I think it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, let me know if you find any real estate on there because maybe we can share a bit if we can't do it ourselves. Um, yeah, I was asking about the um, the oxygen and also sun part. So these are the two things that I've heard is the most important things for the cells. Obviously, you talk a lot about sun, but then also uh, oxygen. I heard that uh, one of the best uh, health indicators is VO2 max or uh, yeah, that yeah. component. So is there anything that you know about that? I'm, I, know I don't know much. I don't know much about VO2 max and uh, that's more in like the training and fitness world, something I'll definitely learn more about down the road. Um, however, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. Like, so let's think about it this way. VO2 max. I know it means, um, the, do you know, I mean, it's consumption of oxygen. It's the, the ability of the body to consume oxygen. 
So I would presume that it, of course, it has a lot to do with the functioning of your red blood cells, which their function is driven by the light energy that they absorb from the sun. So like, for example, I can tell, say that after I sleep, when the body, my body is least damaged and most charged up, and then I get in the morning sun for a while, I can lay in the ocean and I, I like to go under and breath hold and just sit in the quiet water for minutes. It's really nice for me. And I, f- I know that in the morning, again, when my body's the least damaged, fresh after a night of sleep and I've got in the morning sun, I can sit down in the water and hold my breath for several minutes with very little issue and just feeling like no stress, really relaxed. Uh, later in the day, the effect is very different. So just that, fi- that finding experience of my own, I would say, would indicate to me that if someone's doing, uh, you know, let's say the light diet and improving their mitochondrial and function of their red blood cells, their VO2 max will increase without really doing any uh, tremendous amount of training. Although, of course, yeah, you're going to need to do training to improve these systems that are based on a lot of exertion and whatnot. And, you know, fitness experts are going to know a lot more about this than I would. But, but of course, to me, it's just we have to improve our engines in our body so that if, if we want to work optimally, that's basically it to me. How do you distinguish between um, people who are, who are experts who you take seriously and people who sound like experts but actually aren't? Because that's something I actually, I'm actually struggling with because um, I'm not someone that is really uh, passionate about looking up studies and then deciphering them and then making them, like helping them make sense for me. Uh, what do you look for? Uh, well, I just read different things and talk to different people and I find what makes the most sense to me. And at one point it was Rob Wolf and Chris Kresser and the paleo guys. Then when I learned about Dr. Jack Cruz and his much deeper, you know, explanations, then he made more sense. Uh, and as I've learned more, I'm, I've learned about Ayurveda and Eastern not wisdom, you know, which is very much, you know, Dr. Cruz's piecing together of the work of various scientists who I'm also, you know, learning from, um, it implies that, again, like I said earlier, Ayurveda and these Eastern traditions actually have quite a lot more to them than has been traditionally, I thought. And so that's sort of what I'm looking into now, these ancient schools of thought that have thousands of years of, of testing. So I would say that I just mostly go off of what makes sense to me and my intuition and what what actually works when I apply it. And then there's like there's lots of people who, you know, profess certain theories like uh that that are something that I don't that don't necessarily make sense to me, but it works for other people. The way that I think about it is like I have a very, I'd say more conservative or libertarian philosophy, not necessarily politically, but that, you know, people can do what they want with their life. And it's it's not, you know, my life is my life and I do what I want. And as long as people's ways of operating on the world aren't based on infringing on my, my rights and my um, life and whatnot, then I don't mind. So yeah, I mean, I think of it like I can follow who I want and I'm satisfied with that. And then other people can follow who they want and they can be satisfied with that. And it doesn't bother me. Um, You know, would I like, do I care if, if someone is following a false expert who's professing bad information? Like I don't because it would, it would kill me if I did for all the people who are prone to bad thinking, all the people who don't care about themselves enough to make like an impact. It would just be way too much of an energy, energy drain. I find that the best is just to focus on optimizing myself and then spread 
the, and, and I reject any theory that people, you know, where, where people believe that like we should be sacrificial animals where like our whole purpose should be to exist for others. I reject that. I, I believe I should live for myself and betterment of my own life. And that, and, and only in that case anyway, will I'll be able to have the maximum beneficial impact for those around me. Cause for example, I think of it like if I haven't figured out the best thing that works for me, which again, at this point, it's the light diet plus what I'm learning from Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine and Qigong and, and this kind of stuff, then I'm not going to, you know, if, if I had basically taken the stance when I had first learned about the paleo diet that, oh, this is the right answer. Let me profess this to everyone, which I was trying to do. It barely worked for me. I was a mess. So no one was listening to me anyway. But as I've learned more, people have been more interested in the light diets working effectively enough that people are just emailing me to do podcasts and stuff. So it's, it's, it's coming together, you know, but there's going to be further and further evolution. So I hope that kind of answers your question. It definitely, it makes me uncomfortable because like, again, let's say I'm, I'm almost calling myself an expert in regards to the health effects of lighting and electromagnetic fields and, and this stuff, but I'm not a scientific peer reviewed published person, but I just, I know a lot about it. And so I share it. And if someone wants to criticize that, like, Oh, he's not an expert. He's just a bro scientist. Like, great. <laughs> they can, you can think what you want. That's fine. Yeah. I have great respect for anyone that um, yeah, puts themselves out there like that and actually does the experience and lives them like you do. And um, yeah, I definitely have a lot of respect for those people who are then actually willing to say, Hey, I've tried this and I've talked a lot about this, but I feel like I was actually wrong about this and I'm trying more things around here. So actually being that, uh, yeah, being that experiment yourself. So I think that's great. I think you'd also I don't know. You might also already be an Ayn Rand fan. You know, the author, Ayn Rand, the fountainhead. Yeah. Yes. So that's what I thought of immediately when you said that, uh, you look up. Oh yeah. No, I'm quoting her. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Big re uh, book recommendation for anyone out there who's just following other people. Atlas Shrugged is, is for me the best. Yeah. I'll, I'll be reading it soon as well. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Should be, should help me. I, yeah. I would, I would add that, uh, for example, like I have barely begun, you know, on what I'm working on, I'd say for the next decade, at least the, the, the work of my twenties, cause I just turned 20 a few weeks ago. So, you know, just getting started, I would say in regards to all this stuff and like, because I'm young, I think, and you know, people like me, I don't get a lot of criticism at this point. I mean, maybe here and there people will say things that I don't see or hear, but I imagine, you know, as this goes further, I'll, I'll just like any person who puts themselves out there, I'll, I'll get tons of criticism, nasty remarks from low dopamine people. And, and, you know, maybe they have good intentions, maybe they don't, but it doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to do my thing and, and do my thing. Yeah, a lot like that. Uh, so where can people find out more about you if they want to learn more? Um, yeah, about these topics? Uh, I would say that I have an Instagram page the, at the light diet. So people can just follow me there. I don't post a ton now, but I'll be posting more as as things develop, you know, uh, courses, blogs, different products, different companies, and so on and so on. So that'll be really interesting. And then Raw Optics is my blue light blocking glasses company. Very, very great. It's just awesome, I would say. We have a page, an Instagram page, Raw underscore optics, and that's R-A, like Raw, the Egyptian sun god, not Raw, like Raw Milk. So R-A underscore optics, Raw Optics. And then rawoptics.com is the website for blue blockers. And we can, if you'd like, we can get you hooked up with a discount code for your followers and they can, if they're interested in, you know, investing in them, in themselves, then, then they can do so. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I'll link them in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for being on here. Awesome. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, then please subscribe to this podcast right now and leave a review on iTunes, which would help us massively. And if you consider yourself a high performer and you're already running a successful business and you're passionate about holistic growth in every area of life, then you can apply to join our carefully curated group on Facebook for guys like you and me. And when I say carefully curated, I actually mean it because I screen everybody personally and jump on a call with them to see if they're the right fit. And in these calls, I ask myself questions like, first of all, do they know what they talk about? And do they have a level of success that proves it? For example, they're running a successful business or they have some other sort of success that proves, okay, these are interesting guys. They have some value to share. Secondly, are they passionate about growing in every area of their life? That means health and fitness, relationships, relationships with women, finances, spirituality, all that cool stuff. And thirdly, are they self-aware and generally cool guys we'd want to hang out with uh, that also share similar values. And uh, basically what we do is we facilitate mastermind calls where we chat every week or bi-weekly to talk about challenges, help each other out and lift each other up, which is also all 100% free. And uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, a group where you get access to a peer group that will lift you up and make it easy and fun to constantly level up because ultimately you are who you surround yourself with. And uh, as you know as well, it's lonely as you're moving up. But here you're around people who are on the same path. They're also crazy ambitious and they understand the specific challenges that you go through. So it's also a safe space where you can talk about anything here. And uh, you ask yourself, okay, what's the catch? Because you can't jump on a call with everyone. Uh, It's not scalable, but yeah, I know it is not meant to be scaled. It's a highly curated group. And again, we actually mean that because... Ultimately, it's my selfish desire to surround myself with like-minded winners. And uh, the way it works is, so far, you've only gotten in through referrals, through current members. If someone referred you, then you can get in. But uh, now you can actually apply. So you can send us an application. And uh, as I said, it's 100% free for now. And uh, yeah, we just want to get some great guys together. So... Our current members are six to seven figure business owners. They are currently exiting their business. They're just running their business. We want to grow it. Or we even have some guys who are interested in buying businesses now. So uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of interesting dudes all have different strengths and help each other out in the areas that they're lacking in. And uh, we have a ton of fun on these weekly calls. And I always leave inspired and thinking bigger, just like everyone else in the group. And uh, yeah, I'm just super pumped for it. I always love these calls. So if you think you're one of us, then please head over to www.wearecollectiveambition.com slash apply. So that's www.wearecollectiveambition. That's just one word, .com slash apply. And I'll see you on there.